Welcome back to another episode of Like Dragon Like Sun. My name is Jack Oatway. And I'm Jay Oatway. And we are a father-son podcast talking all things Dungeons and Dragons. And, and we've been on a bit of a detour recently, but... Yeah. We uh, we went to the movies last night and uh, saw the new Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Mm. And I think I finally understand maybe how people who grew up with like Marvel <laughs> comics felt, yeah. you know, feel when they, when they see something like that adapted. You know, with all the sort of fancy visual effects and whatnot to the big screen as a sort of a blockbuster style movie, it was there was some elements that were very cool in it. You know, elements that I recognize and go, "Oh, hey, I've seen that in books or in illustrations," and that's neat that they adapted that into film. Well, I, I, I really, after everything that's gone on with D and D this year, had set no expectations for this. Possibly even thinking, you know, at one point earlier this year that might just boycott the whole damn thing. I'm glad I didn't. Um, I'm glad we went and I went with an open mind and I was delighted by it. It, it, it we've, we've had so much high fantasy TV, uh, with the whole game of Thrones series and Lord of the Rings. And we have seen fantasy on screen, it, it, you know, D and D isn't breaking new ground here, mm. but what we're seeing on screen are essentially 5e mechanics we're seeing the forgotten realms we're hearing all sorts of name drops that are from the culture mm. but then the whole movie feels like one of my tabletops do where as much as we like to think of ourselves as serious tabletop roleplay gamers um, we crack a lot of jokes there's a lot sure. of laughter and in fact often new players to the table the first thing they say is, I didn't know that there'd be so much laughing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that D&D &D was going to be so funny. And I think that, you know, Honor Among Thieves d delivers on just that as well, that there is a lot of laughs all the way through it. Um, in the theater we were in, there was a number of people behind us who I don't know if they're Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> players who were laughing their butts off. Yeah. Um, much louder than we were all the way through it. I was, and I was delighted by that. It was really nice sort of hearing the laughter around us. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could be like, you know, don't set your expectations that your game has to be like the way the movie portrays what D&D &D is. And I think that's always true of even other people's games, right? Whatever. But I think there was a truth to that sort of laughter and that funniness and the idea that a plan A and a plan B and a plan C and a plan whatever, right? And I, of course, there's some, you know, classic movie twists and writing conventions and whatnot that kind of, you know, and there's no DM really. I mean, you could envision, yeah. you know, Chris Pine's character and whoever being portrayed by, you know, or as, you know, whatever their archetype classes are, right? But it's really, you have to, I mean, you, there is no DM. There is no narrative voice going in. So you are in this location yeah. doing. So this it's thing not that sort of D and D, but it's behind this. It's sort of if if all that was removed, it's like you, D and D with no DM. And you just saw the storytelling of a campaign. It flows very much like one. It's beautifully done. Um, it's uh, and they but they also took some some liberties. And I saw a really interesting interview with the directors who clearly know Dungeons and Dragons. 
and they were asked about some of the weird stuff in it, particularly the druid who can like wild shape into an owl bear. And not only that, it just seems to wild shape all the time. And they were like, look, when rule of cool seemed to make more sense, we went with things that we thought were how we would play it at our table, mm. how we'd let it go. And I'm like, oh, well, that hearing that as well makes me suddenly go, okay, well, then they get what this is all about. But then from that, then I've always thought, well, when I see another DM table ruling something or making some changes, I'm always a bit curious as to what they're changing and why. And if their changes are maybe a change that I'd want to borrow on as well. I mean, this podcast mm. was largely always about trying to talk through some of those ideas of how we could do things a little bit different or mm. borrow stuff. And can we just talk about the Druid for a second? Mm -hmm. um, so they got a tiefling in there, which is great. You know, they sure. made sure they got some D&D property. There's, there's tieflings and dragonborns all the way. Well, actually, not that many tieflings, but there's dragonborn all over the place in it. Yeah, um, a couple here and there, and Aracocras. And, and there was an Aracocras and a Tabaxi. Like, they make sure they're getting a couple, you know, a couple of those, those species forgotten sort of realm in, there. in there. Um, well, and, uh, but yeah, so we got a tiefling druid. And they, you know, they name drop Emerald Enclave and, you know, some stuff mm -hmm. that makes sure we really, you know, buy into that they're, they're really in the Forgotten Realms. Mm. And, uh, and her, but, you know, she's, she's not a druid that's got spells. No, not at all. No spells, but she can wild shape. As much as she wants. As much as she wants. And, but not anything. Like, she only has, like, she can do all the basic small animals, but she can fly. She can pick, like like birds and things like yeah, that if she insects wants insects that can buzz around and, and insects and she'd be able to you know, sort of maintain her focus and intelligence you know through those characters and those mm -hmm. things um and but then if she needs a combat form that's when she goes owlbear yeah and she can shift right from one form to another she can go from horse to owlbear to you know another thing if she wants and back so she doesn't seem to have any limits on that and that's just what the druids can do in, in you know, mm. in this, on this table, so to speak, in this game. And I love it. I'm just like, I am actually a huge fan of this suddenly. This idea that we've talked about, oh, maybe there's things that druids could do with their wild shape instead of wild shaping. Because I sort of get a little bit maybe bored of just the way that the mechanic works now. But mm. what if we went and twisted it the other way and just said, okay, it's all about the wild shapes. Yeah. Uh, and you get one really cool form. In this case, it's not just an owl bear as well. It's a snowy owl bear, which is even cooler somehow. Yeah, it's nice. And uh, and that's your that's your like beast mode, and you can fight in that and do your stuff in that. Mm. Um, and otherwise, you can do all the other little infiltrating -y sort of things that you can do with your you know your rats and your crows or whatever that whatever you know, gets you around. Do and... but um, and that's it. That's what your druid does. Mm. I mean, that whole scene of that character sneaking in is a thing, and then being chased out as they're transforming back in and out of their shapes did feel like some druid escapades and i've seen before some polymorph adventures of you know someone sneaking in on their own and trying to find their way out and, and i'm sure anybody who's ever played druid in any campaign is at some point gone i'll wild shape into something to infiltrate i mean it is such a obvious thing to do the problem is, is that normally you only have two shapes you can change into so you gotta and pick the shape one you thing pick, and, if it's going to be conspicuous it probably has one yeah. point and exactly so you, you're like whereas rat or hers, a fly or something her, her wonderful ability to be able to go from rat form out a window and then into a bird form 
um, was pretty awesome. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I I loved it. I loved every bit of how they played the the druid in it. Um, yeah. She was fantastic. Another thing I really liked that I don't know if it is rules is written, but it was sort of a cool moment was when um, the sorcerer tries to attune to a helmet that they That's find. such a good sequence of things as well. Because normally in D anD D, maybe there's like you know if you wanted to do some sort of attunement thing, there could be like an ability check or some kind of spell slot expenditure or some sort of thing you have to give if you want to make it some sort of challenge. Honestly, I think the quest to get it can be challenging enough sometimes, but. Most of the time, it's just, yep, you got the item now, you just attune to it, right? And you know what it does. Yeah, and by attuning to it, yeah, you have an awareness of what the item is able to do, right? But in this one, they make, they you know, give it another sort of, like, gauntlet of proving yourself or, or kind of forcing character yeah. growth if you want to be able to wield something, right? It's one thing to find it and get it. It's yeah. another thing entirely to have to have it trust you and, and you know... And this idea that within a split second of trying to put the helmet on... There's this whole time dilation thing where inside the head of the sorcerer, there's this conflict um, with the previous owner with of the, the previous owner, or perhaps it's just, or with just yourself. a manifestation of themselves um, in the face of the previous owner. And right? and it's it could you could even play it at the table as a a ability check of some sort, um, and you know watching your character fail it again and again until yeah. they. Or just have a character do a little bit of role play, you know, yeah. a little bit of a chance to sort of have a bit of a moment to shine, exactly. right? Or a moment to strike. A couple of things that the character has got to come to realize, you know, mm. tick a couple of boxes, and then suddenly it attunes, and uh, boom, and boom, you're there. Um, it's it's yeah, it's a way that you could have a role play session that again takes split second for the character, you know, outside of their I mean, everybody else in the party, it doesn't affect them at all. But that one character is attunement. Mm-hmm. time could be played out in a way that not only helps them you know download a bunch of lore find out about the previous owner mm-hmm. find out about the powers of the item the dangers of it maybe it's a, even an item that's trying to seduce you right maybe it's an evil rather than having to prove you yourself like fighting it off yeah. like um yeah there's all sorts of ways you could do a sort of little tiny micro adventure like one person micro adventure within that just within attunement which is such a lovely idea. And yes, cool. that's that's from the movie, and you can steal that and put that in your campaign. Yeah. Or again, um, that one moment right before the guards find you and do, you know, whatever, and thwart, and it's, you know, last second put on the helmet, and then, you know, could be even mid-combat, right? Yeah. And then suddenly we take things a little bit slower as we do this. And another thing of, of time dilation that I thought was really cool in the movie is the way they changed how time stop worked, right? Yeah. Because if... You're familiar with base D&D, a ninth level time stop spell is instantaneous in the fact that it affects all of reality all at once. Yeah. Giving except you... Except the caster. Yeah, except the caster, giving you about, what, 6 to 30 seconds of, yeah. I don't move more than a certain amount, and I don't interact with anything time at all. Time stop is and I, essentially set up, you drop that, and then you can cast a bunch of stuff on yourself, a mm. bunch of buffs and things to sort of you know get you you going but set super up. ready for combat that's about to come without you having to spend five turns putting spells on yourself instead mm-hmm. boom it all happened you cast one spe- the to- cast time stop and then you cast all your other th- spells on yourself mm. and away you go yeah um but the way it worked in in at least in the way they portrayed it in the movie i thought it was actually quite cool is that it sort of spreads out from a radius of where it's cast sort mm. of paralyzing everything that sort of touches this invisible sort of force field that swallows up everything a in a bubble. little bubble yeah. um, before fading away, but holds long enough that 
you can capture someone or get a good blow in on them or yeah, yeah. you know good enough to the point where you can uh kind of it, whatever the effects of time stop normally are i, I don't know if you see you know, it doesn't go as far as actually attacking someone which would break the spell normally right but um i just thought it was a different way of, of showcasing it right of seeing Counter. things sort of freezing like there's almost that you know when i don't know if you've ever done like a panorama shot with like a phone yeah. where you have to like kind of take multiple yep. snapshots and something's moving sort of mid snapshot it's kind of funny there's a, a bit though where the, they do counter spell the ninth level time stop spell, which mm. of course in my mind is always a bit like, like if there was one bit that could have caused me to sort of twitch and like, can I know, but it's like oh, actually, it's DC, isn't it DC ten plus nine then rules or something? Written, I, I think there's a debate whether you can counter spell time stop rules as written. I guess for that radius effect, if you can sort of see it spreading, there's no reason you wouldn't be able to. Right? It's a reaction, I guess, but but. In the way time stop normally works, you know, I've had players at my table, you know, been like, I think time stop shouldn't be able to be counterspelled because it's like, how could you even, you know, by the time they've cast it, you know, it's already been, you know, there's time. no reaction time. There is, you know, no time at all for you, yeah. you know. It is, it is definitely, there's some, there's some wiggle room on that one. But the fact that we're even talking about the, the that they put real D&D spells on the screen for us to debate is amazing you know the mm. there's reverse gravity in it there's fog cloud in it there's meteor uh swarm in it there's like very clear like oh i recognize what that spell is on the mm. screen freaking amazing like yeah, you cool. know this isn't just some sort of random lord of the rings you know director thought it'd look cool if we did it this way sort of vibe no no this is this is like we're we're taking D D spells and we're making them we're making a movie a little cinematic. cinematic and i and feel yeah. like and martial so then, combat was that so way then if there's well, a right? if there's a couple things that have to change a little bit fine yeah of course martial combat i don't think D played the way it does at the table with like six second turns is gonna look good yeah. it's got to be the same rough and tumble you know back and forth well it, if, if really it would look like the two of them sort of posing off you know standing in one five foot spot or moving around one five foot spot it would look terrible swinging a sword at each other or whatever weapon they're holding until yeah. one of them falls or moves away, yeah. right? But instead, they choose to do something which is much more interesting, A, cinematographically, cinematically, whatever, right? Um, throwing people around, you know, that's sort of a barbarian move, maybe more of a monkish or, you know, unarmed yeah. fighter kind of thing that we'd imagine. But I think it works way better in terms of imagining a battle. No, it's, it's really this sort of throwing people to the ground and pushing them away or or giving yourself a positional advantage so that you can land sort of a killing blow or deflecting these attacks as they're coming in rapidly rather than having that as, you know, a parry reaction, which you can do once per round and then everything else hits you. Or a dodge or whatever that you get to, you know, some uncanny dodge escape that has the impact, right? And, you know, there's always been discussions HP is more than just, like, meat points, right? Yeah. It's like it's luck or it's yeah, whatever exactly. it's your heroic you know, heroic uh, feats you know ability to withstand you know things that might kill other people it's yeah but then it's like count that as luck or you count that as pure but then you why know. you know only constitution affects it and so it's like is it a will to live sort of thing yeah, I know. but is that not a charisma Could effect as well more is it then then healing potions do they restore luck do they restore your faith do they restore your whatever it is that keeps you going do they or just restore your meat points somehow or, or then damage resistance is too and you know if an armor is giving you resistance or to slashing that's because you're getting hit not because you're deflecting things more often right and sometimes you kind of just have to 
forget about that a little yeah, bit mechanics it, mechanics I, I've, cannot I've a, depict reality well perfectly. it's sort of a, the idea that you know mechanics restrict flavor whereas yeah. flavor is you know open and whatever expands options and whatnot right um but sometimes you, again there's always this idea of you know you create not i don't say better because that's just too simple a word but you you know when you have limitations in place the you know your creativity can sort of flourish yeah. right um which is why tennis, i think we like play with the net right? down isn't nearly as much fun well it's true um mechanics can give some structure and can give a, a guidance but they can also be inhibitors right and so i think when we are quick to judge things because they don't line up with the way that mechanics mechanics aren't infallible you know they've worked yeah so far and it, for some situations but and it, we are still some like types of playing games, off an right? evolution but, of nearly 50 year old mechanics like you know they they were never written to accommodate all the things that you want to do the feeling and, of whatever yeah. and, it's come a long ways like it's amazing like even 25 years ago the idea of of this sort of caliber and quality of movie i mean look we have tried to see D stuff on the screen before both you know tv and really bad movies i mean they were it was always b grade it was always pretty bad um it's so lovely to sort of see it actually on the screen done really really well like mm. good budget and looks great looks fantastic um, so yeah, loving it and loving the monsters, you know, the, we've got displacer beasts and we've got gelatinous cubes and we've got, oh, there's even like little cameo things, little tiny bits like Easter eggs. Like you, there's this one bit where they're going up a set of stairs and I noticed like two rust monsters fighting over a little piece of metal yeah, in the rafters. Cute. It was just hilarious. Or they um, zoom past a map and you see like Icewind Dale or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the spine of the world and you're like, oh gosh, like they really are. You know, and, and I think that's going to be amazing for a whole new generation of people who've never, mm. you know, who've never really seen much D&D, seeing this on the big screen and being, you know, bombarded by the all the marketing and stuff that's coming with it and the toys and everything. Um, it's going to be a really great sort of oh, way to bring people into the culture. A hundred percent. And I think one toy that, or one, you know, whatever thing that I want to steal as well is that big chubby dragon. Oh, the chubby dragon. And I love it because, you know, we've had schmog, smog, you know, you like know, thin, you know, from wide, The Hobbit. Terrible, you know, we've had mighty, muscular dragons. Sure, we've, or had, we've had so many dragons. Scrawny, whatever, like, but know. a big, or even, dragon. Or even the wyvern pseudo-dragon crap that Game of Thrones Well, I gave feel like us. they're either very um, lizardy and, like, very, like, you know, skinny, thin, live things, or yeah. they're musculature, you know, like, ripped. Or they try like, to... They try to do dragons that have got too few legs so often, whatever, right? right? Um, but this isn't. This is just big, waddly, big, chubby, worm-like, yeah. larva-like. <laughs> like, it may seem like a big, like, iguana sort of neck, Or like a dog thing, that's, or like, like or, you Komodo know, this really, really overweight and can't, like, run so well. And its wings haven't evolved to keep up with its, like, No, not girth. at all. But it's it's still like terrifying. Like it's still like oh, a dra red dragon that is it, it totally just, like, dangerous. Slides down and like ah, mouth open yeah, as yeah. it just like slides towards it, you. It was still getting around pretty good. Um, mm. And because it's like you know, you can hit it as much as you want. And there's a couple of blows in it that you know stun it or sort of like you know get it to close its mouth. But there's nothing like they're not you're not they're not even gonna try. To kill the dragon which is i also love that about it because mm. uh, there's been so many D, D adventures where again the the everybody at the table knows that if there's a dragon you just run yeah. like there's there, our best chance is just to get out of here maybe yeah um 
And and I think we've all seen, you know, uh, friends or maybe even experienced ourselves, uh, you know, PCs who get killed by the dragons. They, yeah. they're a real threat. So they are big threats. Um, so it was great. And this one to be able to just, you know, just love love the dragon. Um, mm. There's a black dragon earlier on in story. Um, being retold by the dead guys, uh, mm, black no dragon cool. spraying yeah. acid, acid down or, or something. Yeah, Ruby acid, yeah. black, black, black acid. acid, and it's this black acid that it's pouring down on the ground as it flies by. Time. It looks cool. That's the sort of dragon you sort of think, oh, okay, there's classic, but classic also in a way that no, not really, because most other, you know, um, fantasy role play stuff, the mm. you know Game of Thrones dragons are all fire breathing dragons, right? It's true. You know, very rarely do we see a dragon that doesn't that has a breath weapon that isn't fire. Yeah. So one that's out there spraying acid, you're like, oh, there's other dragons out there. Welcome that's to nice D and D. Yeah, chromatic style. And I wonder then if you see some sort of Tiamat thing in the future. And they set up, you know, the, I mean, I've heard of the Red Wizards of Thay and whatnot, and mm. I'm not a big Forgotten Realms buff. I mean, I know enough because I've read the books, but they go back. They go back to first edition, advanced D and D, nineteen eighty eight, and we see their sort of lore, which was kind of cool to see. And something about what was it called? Um, Dreams of the Red Wizards, I think this was called, yeah. something like that. And who uh, they held and whatnot. And but you know, there's a lot of lore. They keep getting picked up on. You know, Ed Greenwood used them a ton of times. I mean, it's like they're they are a classic sort of villain part of it. And but I think they've evolved the story a little bit. Um, we get a little glimpse of something from the shadows and part of me was think, is that, um, what's Vecna? his name? Saz Tan. Oh, Saz Tan. Or yeah. is it Vecna? And I think it could be. I think. It could be a Syrac as well. Well, I think, well, I think the Vecna thing is like, is com- like we've seen Vecna dossiers. I think we've. We've seen Vecnik popping up in a bunch I of places because of Stranger Things. Though. I know, but I'm not sure Stranger Things is even a coincidence anymore. Matt Mercer used it as well. Well, uh, that was years ago. I know, but I'm wondering if like there isn't like hasn't been like people at like well by people I mean Chris Perkins talking to various these people around there going look you got to keep this super secret. But I've got all these little obelisks that I've dropped in all these different adventures, and they're all kind of going to tie together. And I don't know if you know, but like 2E ends with this big battle um, and a module called, or a supplement really called Die, Vecna, Die. Mm. And it's part of like Vecna's sort of ascension to semi godness sort of thing. We see that in Critical Role as well. And yeah, it's happening there, and this sort of story being retold again and again. Vecna's trying to become a god, and not just that. We sort of see in Icewind Dale with the sort of tale that's in there that Vecna's not just trying to become god, but Vecna's trying to become the only god. Vecna's going to try and wipe out all the gods, and the the obelisks are are part of the plan somehow i don't know how it's all unfolding i think we're going to see more of this by when we get planescape <laughs> out and things this is all coming together i'm wondering if they didn't even like plant the seeds with the uh, stranger things guys going yeah you know if you could put vecna in it no, that'd be great classic monster maybe but anyways the movie might have it it's it's he's all over the place these days mm-hmm. um i think it's going to be you know vecna is going to be the this generation's big bad name that they know forever and ever. Like names like Tiamat will never like live up to the size of Vecna. Right. Uh, Vecna, Vecna, Vecna. It's all we're going to be hearing about for ages. Well, you heard it. Here's and the prediction. I was, I was like, that was sort of like poo-pooing the Vecna thing for a long time, but I think the Red Wizards are tied into it now. It makes sense. They're kind of a death cult wizard thingy. That sort of seems Vecna's alley. Mm. Like I think there's all going to connect back. Which, but the same note. Can we just step back and like? 
like golf clap this because like well done chris perkins okay well don't like, get don't do this because you're still theorizing i don't think i don't so, know if but... he's really planned it all but if he has and if it all comes together this is going to be like bigger than like marvel endgame i don't know about like that. i think this is bigger than the you know 20 movies that avengers had that, that sure mcu that. put together yeah this is this is this is crazy it's crazy <laughs> man like how long have they been working on this like 10 I years know. i don't know i think avengers was longer than that I don't know. It's crazy. Well, we're not out of the woods yet. We still have another couple of years, I think, before they try to kill 5e. But I think, really, it's going to be a cataclysmic event, Vecna-driven, that's going to be the main reason that 5e rules go away and 6e rules or 1 deity 1 or whatever. I feel like they, haven't they been trying to say that that's not what's going to happen? Like, they're not getting rid of 5e? It, it's not, but it's going to be a way for them to to erase a bunch of history and rules. The obelisk is a way to rewind time and move things back, and it's going to do this whole cataclysmic shift thing which is going to allow them then to within one D usher in a whole new sort of like set of how things work in the universe right. interesting and everybody's going to forget well, the old stuff because beckna made you forget check in 50 episodes later when we see if this conspiracy theory is paid off anyways that's i, I think the movie's part of that i think the movie's dropped a tiny little touch the wizards of the a um are going to be part of this plan maybe um thank you for joining us i i think that's my our major yeah, thoughts on the movie it. i don't know if i have anything else to say um, we've there was tons of spoilers enjoyable, and we probably funny. should mention that in advance but oh well, well let's put it in the title we'll put it in the title um and yeah i uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet i hope we haven't ruined it for you uh go see it it's amazing thanks everyone see ya